So Romans is a book in the Bible. It's a letter in the Bible, kind of closer to the back. Um, it's it's uh, the book of Romans. And uh, in, we're going to be in chapter 15. The chapters are the big numbers. And so verses are the little numbers. Chapters are the big numbers. And we're going to be looking at that whole chapter of chapter 15. This morning, if you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible, well, our church gives away Bibles for free, so make sure you grab one of those on your way out. We have Bibles for kids. We have Bibles for adults. We have Bibles in other languages, Spanish. We have all sorts of Bibles in the back. And if you don't like one of our Bibles and you're like, I actually like this Bible, and you're looking at Amazon, I'll buy it for you. Because we ultimately want to get people hooked up with a word that you'll use. And uh, so, so that, that is a gift from us to you for, um, you know, maybe don't grab 10 of them and give them away for Christmas gifts. That's maybe not what we're trying to do. But ultimately, grab one, grab two, whatever you need for uh, you and somebody maybe you know. Cool. How are we feeling? We feel good? Anybody tr- got to get out of here or can I preach a little bit this morning? Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't even look at some of you. I know, I know. Romans 15, this is where we are. Um, so I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to try to un- I'm gonna pray, and then we'll un- try to unpack this for us this morning, okay? We've been in Romans. We've been in Romans now for uh, already 14 of the chapters. We've been taking a chapter a day, a uh, chapter a Sunday, and uh, so we're almost done. Next week, chapter 16, we're going to be finishing up this series and we're going to be moving into something new uh, following Pentecost. So I'm kind of excited about that. These last two chapters are so practical that they're almost, they almost are so practical, meaning actual names get dropped, places get dropped, details of what's going on in Paul's life get dropped. So much so that even when Romans got like transcribed down and like was, was copied. Sometimes chapters 15 and 16 here, especially chapter 16, got left out of some of that because it's just so practical. So what's really cool about this is I get to take the real practical stuff in, in Paul's time as he's writing this and say, what does that mean for us, really practically speaking, Today, and I'm, you know, does that make sense what I'm kind of saying? So it's less of kind of like this big, broad, overarching teaching, but instead it's just some really practical stuff. Sometimes, like especially next week, we'll be like, why are we even preaching on this? Like, this doesn't even apply to us. Now, it does, and I'm going to show you how, but um, that's how it can kind of feel. Look at this, chapter 15, verse 1. Man, verse 1 through 7 here is really picking up from last week. I almost preached 1 through 7 here in connection with last week, but it's a good reminder of what we talked about last week. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. I am going to touch on that in a little bit. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Remember that how last week I talked about that? How, how because of Christ, Christ connects us to himself, but he also connects us to each other. 
and we begin to pursue peace and harmony within each, with each other. Not looking to our own selfish kind of stuff, but actually looking out for the good of each other. To live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at, look at that verse of unity there. That together we would glorify God. And this was Jesus' prayer in John 17. For us, that we would be one as him and the Father are one. Whoo! Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, now, here's what he's going to do. He's going to quote some Old Testament stuff here, uh, some, some uh, scripture from the Old Testament. So it says this, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Paul says, and again it says in the Old Testament, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. What he's saying here is he's saying that with Christ that's come now, Christ is not just for the Jews, but he's also for the Gentiles. And together, the grafted in, did you remember my sermon on, on being grafted in? And that's kind of what he's talking about here. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope, which is that's only used right here in the New Testament. There's no other phrase like that. May the God of hope. That's never used in the New Testament. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. I'm going to be honing in on that verse right there. I'm going to be zeroing in on that. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who've never heard will understand. And then this gets so really the real practical stuff here. This is the reason why I've so often uh, been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, notice he's not been to Rome before, but he wants to get there. I hope to see you in passing as I go on to Spain, 
as I go on to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by your Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints." so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, even as we read your word there, even as we read your word, we recognize um, just the power that's in your word, that your word really is living and active, that it's sharper than a double-edged sword and that it will pierce to, to the division of spirit and joints and marrow. And Lord, I just pray that you would use, that you would speak to us now, that your word would actually do that kind of work. Open up our hearts and our minds, God, to hear your voice, to hear your voice as you speak to us. Today I recognize, Lord, that you're using me as a mouthpiece, and, and I'm humbled by that. I wonder if I even, um, I wonder if I even kind of uh, have a, enough of a healthy fear with that. To be used by you like this is truly incredible. So I just pray, God, that I would be directed by you, put the bit in my mouth, and lead and guide me um, to say the things that need to be said and to not say the things that don't need to be said. We pray this boldly in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Here's, here's my main point. Jesus is accomplishing, Jesus is accomplishing His mission through us. Jesus is accomplishing his mission of taking the, the gospel message, taking the good news of salvation to the, to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and to all the world, and he accomplishes this mission through us, not through TV, not through you know, radio, Jesus on radio. He accomplishes it through the church. Through his people. That's incredible. As I was unpacking and thinking about this and trying to break down the message into kind of how it makes sense and how did that, what did that mean to Paul, I came up with kind of three things and it kind of connects with our mission as a church and our vision as a church and, and I was like, man, I just see it too much. I just see it too clearly. So my three points are simply this. Paul had a heart for disconnected people Paul had a heart for connected people and, and all of this was grounded for Paul in the Word of God. 
So let me unpack this. Paul had a heart for disconnected people. He loved people who were far from God. It was part of his just kind of mission. It was kind of his, part of his DNA was just to reach out with the good news of what Jesus had done just a few decades earlier, died on a cross, lived perfect life, died on a cross, paid the price for the sins of the world, offering the gift of salvation and newness of life to anybody that would receive that, to anybody that would hear it and believe it to be true. This story of what Jesus had just done just a couple years earlier, and then that this Jesus had ascended to the Father, and that the Holy Spirit now was being poured out on Jews and Gentiles, on followers of Jesus. This grace, this message of grace and salvation. Paul wanted to take that news to people who didn't have a clue. He wanted to take that news to people who were not connected to a local church, not connected to a local synagogue, not connected to any kind of the the writings of the scriptures. He wanted to take it to the worst of the worst. And, And what I mean by the worst of just... People who were not followers of Jesus or who weren't Jewish, he wanted to take, he just had a heart for that. And we see this as he, as that's what he does. He actually starts planting churches all throughout the Roman Empire, especially taking the church where there was no church. <clears throat> that was Paul's heart. He wanted to go where people had not been yet. And he had a heart for those kind of people. I remember, I remember running up against this a little bit, where it really just popped for me as I was reflecting on this. We went camping a few years ago with a mentor of mine, a, a pastor who was a church planter, and just he had a heart for disconnected people. And our family and his family connected up and we were camping together. And as we were camping, there was a, a, a couple next to us in a, another campground. And uh, we ended up inviting them over to our fire and we were connecting with them and, and just having a great time. And it was interesting because after a little while, I was probably kind of ready to like send those people back to their other, you know, to their tent. Because we were kind of there to hang and connect with, you know, my mentor and my friend and his family. But it was interesting because my mentor, he just kept leaning into this family and kept connecting with them almost, you know, I'll be honest, almost to like a point where I'm kind of like, what, what is going on here? But, it, but it, what, it, what it kind of opened my eyes to is he just had such a heart for people who are far from God. He would have articulated it like, you know, if, I, if Seth and Jacqueline were to die tonight kind of thing, I know that they're with Jesus. I don't know about this family, and I'm going to pour into them. I have this one opportunity to pour in. Not all of us might have that kind of spirit or kind of mentality. That's who he was, though. He's just driven to reach disconnected people, people who are far from God. He loved that. And I catch some flack sometimes at the dwelling for being a church like that. I'll catch some flags sometimes for being a church that, that's always kind of catering or setting itself up for, for those who might be far from God or those who might be disconnected from a, a church or whatever it might be. 
You know, why do we, okay, you know, we're going to do the confession. Fine, just do the confession. Why do we have to teach it and talk about it? Every time we do the Apostles' Creed, you know, I grew up in a church where when you get to the Apostles' Creed, you just said the Apostles' Creed. When you get to the Lord's Prayer, you just say the Lord's Prayer. When you get to the Nunc Dimittis, you just say the Lord's Nunc Dimittis. Kyria, you just do it. You just, you just do it. That's not bad. That's not a bad thing. But our church, when we come to the Lord's Prayer, we're teaching on that. We're saying, here's why we're saying the Lord's Prayer. Here's what's going on in this. When we bring up Matthew or, you know, people are like, Who, who's Matthew? Who the heck is Matthew? I don't have a Bible. I don't know what a chapter is. I don't know what a verse is. And sometimes I've caught flag for that a little bit. But here's the reality. As a mission plant, as a church that's planted to be on mission, we've kind of set ourselves up to be a church that would be, that, that hopefully could potentially make a touch more sense to somebody who's maybe far from God, is an atheist, agnostic, a skeptic, who can come and just, I want to know a little bit more about the church. And, because here's the reality, in the West, I still think, although I think it's changing quickly, I think if somebody who's a skeptic, an atheist, atheist or agnostic or something, and wants to have a kind of transaction with God in some way, some kind of chat, chit-chat or something, I still think Sunday mornings are kind of primarily a spot where that transaction takes place. Does that make sense? I'm talking in very... I don't know, maybe not making sense kind of language, but I still see that taking place here. We'll have people who come and, and be part of that. Some of you are that. That's fantastic. We, that's why we're doing this. We love it. But sometimes we can even catch some flag for that because it's like, you know, you can start to want to just turn kind of inside towards those who are simply connected and those who simply know the language and know the words and know how to turn to the right chapters and know how to do this and know how to do that. And I just, that's not, you know, that's not where we're at right now as a church. I look at verse 20 here. Look at verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul said, you know, uh, Billy Graham, this was one of Billy Graham's favorite, one of his, he loved this verse. That's what I've heard. He wanted to take the good news of Jesus to, to, to people who didn't know, who didn't understand all the connections and all the stuff, and they didn't have a foundation laid for them. He wanted to take the good news of Jesus to those people. So here's my question. What does that then, how does that practically look for us today? There's two things I want to kind of think about. One, one practical piece is church planting. One practical piece is simply that we would be a church that actually plants other churches. As I think about, uh, uh, I have a picture here, as I, and I was just kind of doing a quick map here of... of um, do we have that picture, Jake? Yeah, sweet. Okay, just make sure. So here's, here's kind of like, here's our area, right? Uh, that little blue spot is where I live. That's weird. The red spot is where we are right now, the little red dot, right? There's our church. We were planted uh, as a church, planted into an area that two other churches thought a church is needed there. And so that's how we, the dwelling, got planted here. 
as I've thought about this, I've thought, you know, we've been a church that's reproduced already too. And so I got just a little, another, you can go to the next picture here. Of Those are some churches that we've either planted in connection with the Harvest Partnership, which is about five or six other church bodies that work and operate together to plant more churches. So uh, down on the bottom left there, that little X is uh, Lazarus Church. Uh, Matt and Tiffany Wagner will sometimes go over there and actually lead worship over there. Sometimes they're not here on Sunday mornings. They'll actually be over there leading worship. Um, the X just above there off 242 is uh, Pastor Trace Sanson and his wife Kathy are project, uh, planting a church called Project 242. And then our work, as we continue to work with Pastor Nelson to think about a Hispanic presence in Plum Grove, is that's kind of where we've been at, is we're thinking about how can we plant churches where, where we think church presence might be needed. Now you might say, well, aren't there already churches there? And that's, an, that's actually a good question. And as we've kind of unpacked that, uh, as we've kind of studied it, the data actually would suggest that when you plant a church, if you were to plant another church right across the road from the church you just planted, more people would get connected to Jesus. Now that almost doesn't even make sense to me, but that's just the reality. When you plant more churches, more people get connected to Jesus. That's the data would say that. So church planting isn't the only way to reproduce the gospel into places where people are far from God. But it is a way, and it's a fairly effective way, uh, especially here in the West. So what does it look like to plant churches here? I got another picture here. What does it look like to plant churches? All's kind of around us. What does it look like to reproduce? And I'm not saying this is exactly what we're going to do. I'm just saying I wonder about this kind of stuff. What does it look like to plant a church in Willis? Or security? I like to think cut and shoot, just because that's a cool... I've always wanted to get a church in cut and shoot. <laughs> what does it look like to plant a church in Grangerland? I remember five years ago riding around on my motorcycle, and when I came to the Grangerland High School, and I was talking to a security officer in the parking lot, I remember thinking, we got to plant a, a church right here in this, in this high school. I'd love to plant a church in the Grangerland High School. What does it look like to plant a church in Atascacita with some of the church that's already there? What does it look like to plant a church in Crosby? What does it look like to plant a church in, just you name it, New Caney? I mean, we're here in Porter. If you look at, at Paul's methodology and how he did it, he'd plant a church in a church like Philippi or a city like Philippi. Well, Philippi at the time of his planting has only got 10,000, 15,000 people in the town. That's New Caney. That's Splendora. See, sometimes we can think like, oh yeah, let's just plant and let's just... No, what does it look like to take the good news of Jesus into to places where the, the, the church is needed? And then I like to put another overlay of X's, uh, which would be this, which would be a Hispanic presence as well. And I don't know what that exactly looks like. But how can we... Uh, plant not only English-speaking churches, but also Spanish-speaking churches for our brothers and sisters who I live right next door to, who I can't talk to, and I can't share the good news of Jesus because I don't speak a language. And what does it look like to plant Hispanic-speaking churches in connection with English-speaking churches as well? I don't know. I don't have all the answers for this, but I get excited about this kind of stuff. 
Because I get fired up about taking the good news of Jesus to disconnected people. Now that's one of the pieces that I see in this text. But another aspect that I want to just, I want to make sure gets highlighted as well is that in verse 20 it says, Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. And so I'd ask us even at a more localized level, what does it look like to bring the name of Jesus into our everyday lives? Have there been places, have there been places that have yet in our circle of influence not had the name of Jesus been named in those situations? I call this daily Jesusing. I'm making that up, I think. If you want to write the book, go for it. Daily Jesusing. What does it look like to take the name of Jesus into situations, um, you know, your neighbor right across the street that's going through a divorce? Has the name of Jesus been brought into that situation? Has the name of Jesus, earlier on in Romans chapter 10, it talks about Jesus being named as Lord. Has Jesus been named as Lord in some of the situations? Maybe it's a, a sibling of yours, an adult sibling that's a gossiper. Has Jesus been brought into that? One of the cautions I'd ask us, and I want to highlight this. I think often we talk about God, but we don't often talk about Jesus. Is that true for you or not? You don't have to say, shake your head yes or no. You can do whatever you want to. But is it true that oftentimes we talk about God but we don't talk about Jesus? See, I get concerned that I could walk through my neighborhood and ask people, do they know God? And 95% of my neighborhood would say, I believe in God. How about Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? And is like, in relationship with you? I just asked that question. I'm amazed, I'm amazed, at, for my own person, I'm amazed at how easy it is for me to say something like, God loves you. But for some reason, it feels like another step when I say something like, Jesus loves you. Jesus bless you. I don't know, am I getting weird tonight? Maybe you're not making the distinction like I'm making. I, I feel that difference, especially in a culture that we live in that talks about God but doesn't know who that is. They don't know who God is. They say there's a God. What does that mean? There's lots of gods. <laughs> Which one are we talking about kind of feel to it? You see what I'm saying? And when we begin to name not where Christ has already been named. I want to bring Jesus into these situations. I'm going to ask you, here's my challenge. I ask you to simply reflect on your past couple weeks and ask, how often have you brought up the name of Jesus into specific situations? When I reflect on that, it's way less than I'd like to admit. Why is that? Why don't we talk about Jesus with people? Who is God? I get that. 
And we get that, and it's kind of like, oh, that's, everybody should get that. But everybody doesn't get that. So practically speaking, how I see some of the Jesus or Paul's heart for disconnected people playing out is a reproduction of church planting. I get excited about that. But I also see it on the daily level as you go to work, as you begin to connect with your family and friends, as you begin to connect with your neighborhood, what does it look like to bring Jesus into those situations? Second thing I want to highlight, not only does Paul have a heart for disconnected people, but he has a heart for connected people, doesn't he? We actually see that in the text. It's not like Paul is just only after people who are far from God. Paul loves connecting with the local church. We see that as he writes multiple letters, right? He writes to the church in Colossa. He writes to the church in Philippi. He writes to the church in Ephesus. He writes to the church in Corinth. He writes to the church in Rome. Paul loves the local church. We see it even here as he unpacks it for us a little bit in verse 24. He says this, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, which there's his heart for disconnected people. He wants to go to the farthest spot of the empire and plant churches there. We don't know if Paul went to Spain or not. The earliest church fathers would say, yeah, he did. And so that, did Paul actually get to go to Spain? We don't fully know, but he wanted to. And he's writing this letter from Corinth. If you want to pull out your phone and look at all the map, you can. I don't have it on the screen today. But he's writing from Corinth. He wants to go to Spain. But what does he say here? He says, I'm going to go to Spain and I'll, I'll connect with you for a little while once I've enjoyed your company. But at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the poor there. Isn't that cool? I love that. Jerusalem is like the old fogey church. The, Jerusalem is like the most established church at this time. He wants to go to Spain. He's already halfway there, and he's saying, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem before I end up going back to Rome, and then I'm going to go on to Spain after that. But that's fascinating to me because it's like, you know what? I want to go to Spain. I have such a heart for disconnected people, but I'm going to go connect with some of the people in, in, in Jerusalem first. Because I love them. And I care about them. And we're all in this together. I'm going to spend some time with them. Paul loves the established church. And I think we should too. We should too. Fall in love with partnerships with churches that have been doing this a lot longer than us. It's been a blessing of the Harvest Partnership to actually be able to rub shoulders with, with some of these churches, with, with pastors who are wise and, and, and have wisdom that blesses some of us. And you know, us younger guys, we just bring the energy, we bring the Mountain Dew to the table. That's all we bring but these, the, the blessing of the Father is huge. This, you, know, you see this. You see Paul, actually, you can read about it in Acts chapter 18 and 19. He spends 18 months in Ephesus. No, Corinth. Two years he spends in Ephesus. He loves connecting with the church and just spending time with them, building relationships with them. 
He loves disconnected people, but he also loves connected people. I think it kind of goes with our vision of a church that's gathering and going. We've got to be a church that goes. We've got to be a church that goes where we live, work, worship, and play. Daily Jesusing it into people's lives. But we've also got to be a church that gathers together, spends time with each other, grows with each other, challenges each other, instructs each other. Look at verse 14. What does he say here? I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. I think one of the ways in which we can sense the the health of a congregation is actually to ask the question, is instruction happening only this way, or is it also happening this way? Are we instructing our children in our homes? Raising them to know Jesus? Are we instructing our spouse on a regular basis, encouraging them, walking with them in a discipleship walk? Are we instructing each other in some of our small groups as we walk out life together? Or is instruction only happening, like Ian was making the comment earlier, from here to here, and then you go, and you come back, here to here, and is that it? I love this. He says instruction is taking place to each other. And what's critical about all of this, I just want to quick highlight this, what's critical is that Paul recognizes, Paul recognizes that all of this is because of Christ. Look at verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Paul recognizes that all of his church planting, all of his Jesusing, all of his connecting with connected people, all of his connection with disconnected people, it all comes because of the work of Jesus working in and through him. And that's important to understand. That Jesus actually is the one that's carrying the heavy burden of of walking this stuff out. It's Jesus who's doing the, the work of changing hearts and lives. But we get to be part of that. I was reading a book. I finished a book. The very last sentence this past week was this. It, the guy challenged and said, There will come a day when as Christians we don't get to make disciples. There will come a day when we don't get to make a disciple. But we do today. Come on, you're looking at me like I'm a ghost up here. What, do you see what I'm saying? There will come a day when we're with Jesus forever, when making a disciple isn't part of our job description. Right now, it is. We're called to make disciples with our kids, with our spouse, with our family, with the people around us. We're called to this, y'all. Jesus is accomplishing this. He's the one who went to the cross. He's the one who ascended to the Father. Today is actually Ascension Sunday, you'd maybe say. And we, we celebrate 40 days after Jesus' death and resurrection. 40 days later, Jesus ascended to the Father 
so that the Holy See, we get this wrong so often. The ascension isn't Jesus getting further away. He ascends to the Father that the Spirit might come to get closer to us. Whoa, man, that'll preach. The, the, the ascension is about Jesus ascending to the Father so that the good news of Jesus and what he's done might go out to the ends of the earth, to Porter and New Canians, to all the places. And we get to be part of that through, Paul says, what Christ has accomplished through me. We're part of that. What a privilege. What a privilege to get to be part of that. And I know I, 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 I uh, what? I don't know what's the word. I uh, overlooked that maybe just so much in my own life. Last thing I just want to quick highlight. This is kind of a fast one. All of this, all of this, a heart for disconnected people and a heart for connected people is all grounded in the word. I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. It's grounded in the word. 50 plus times in the book of Romans, Paul cites Old Testament passages. He references Old Testament passages. That's important because it begins to reveal to us that Paul doesn't just say whatever he wants to say. He grounds it always back in the Word. And what's fascinating to me is that Paul grounds even his mission as a, as a missionary to reach lost people and to continue to connect with connected people. He grounds it in the Word. Look at the, I don't have it on the screen, but look at verse 21. As it is written, those who've never been told of him will see. Those who've never heard will understand. This is quoting Isaiah. Now, Paul, if you go read Acts chapter 9, that's a different, that's a different book in the Bible. If you go read Acts chapter 9, it's his conversion experience. Paul actually interacts with Jesus himself. And Jesus himself tells him, you're going to go to the Gentiles and the sons of Israel and to kings. It's going to be a big deal. But Paul doesn't bring that up here. See, that's what I find fascinating is he doesn't bring up his own experience, but instead he goes to the prophet Isaiah and says, this is what the scriptures say. See, that's huge for us because we maybe didn't have a Damascus experience. You maybe never had Jesus show up in your bedroom and say, go to Porter and be a missionary. But us being called to the communities that we live in to be disciples and to make disciples is grounded in the word of God. And so it is for us. It's for each of us. It is God speaking to you today from his word. This is what the church is about. It's what it's always been about. Reaching out with the good news of Jesus to people that don't have a clue and helping and being patient and walking with them and continuing to connect with the body of Christ and being unified and pursuing uh, unity, pursuing peace. Asking for forgiveness. Repenting when you're supposed to repent to somebody because you wronged them. Living differently because we are different in the newness that's ours because of Christ. It's grounded in the Word. 
Jesus is accomplishing his mission through us. He's accomplishing his mission through the church. The, the, the church, the body of Christ, the people of God. What a privilege it is to get to be part of that. We get to be with each other. We don't want to get to heaven. I, I, man, somebody said this to me once and I just latched onto it. You don't want to, I mean, getting to heaven, you know, because of Jesus and sa being saved, that's going to be awesome, right? How cool will it be if we get to heaven and we actually know people there? Do you see what I'm saying? How cool will it be if we get there and we actually know some people? You know what I'm saying. We get to be disciple makers. God wants to use us for this. It's a privilege. I'm amazed that he does. I, if I was God, I would not use Seth. I wouldn't. I'm serious. Why he does, I don't know. I don't get it. But that's, he loves us so much like that. He allows us to be part of eternal things. He allows us to be part of eternal things. When we see somebody up here who goes into the waters of baptism and come up out of there, we get to be part of that, guys. All of us. When you take that friend of yours to Denny's and you share with them, listen, I just want you to know how much Jesus loves you. You're getting to be part of eternal stuff. When you go into your closet every night and you get on your hands and your knees and you pray for your five people who don't know Jesus, you're getting to be part of eternal things. Jesus is accomplishing his mission, whether we like it or not, through us, through his church, through the body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. <laughs> I thank you for this. I don't get it all. I don't understand it all. I don't um, <laughs> agree with you sometimes, Lord, on this. Because <laughs> I feel like I'd have done it so different if I was you. But you want us to be part of this incredible journey of connecting with disconnected people, of connecting with other connected people. And... To have all of it come from your word. That it really is a word that's spoken to all of us today. Give us the courage, Lord, to take the steps you're calling us to take. God, I pray none of this would have led somebody to do something or make a decision or something to be weird or to do something that you're not calling them to do. But I just feel like, at least for me today, I want to be bold in leading our church to be a church that plants churches. I want to be bold in taking the step to not just talk about God with people, but to talk about you, Jesus, with people. Give me, give Seth the strength, the courage to make some of those kinds of moves. God, help me to be a, a, a kind of guy that would actually connect with people in our church and, 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 and build rela deeper relationships. 
Help me, God, draw me into deeper relationships with the people in this room and the people watching online. And it's about, it's like breathing, God, like that we're gathering together and we're going out and we're gathering and we're going and we're gathering and we're going. I know, help me with that, Lord. I got a feeling some others would be praying a similar prayer. So just help us with that, God. God, thank you that you want to accomplish your work through us. We praise you for that. We were amazed by that. And we're excited for that day when we will be with all of the saints for all of eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Thank you that that is a reality, that that is going to happen. We look forward to that in Jesus' name.